Nathan and Debs since I saw him in NYC and we're back with a genuine gentleman an academian a brilliant individual kind of like Nathan kind of like Debs not very much like me but man we're super excited Bob. but before we get into all that business with him let's say hello to the co-conspirator of this joint money Nathan hey what's going on y'all it's good to be back in the saddle I uh, really enjoyed seeing you guys in New York as you mentioned uh, it's great to be on tonight with Ben. Really excited to talk to him and uh, excited to see the questions that we'll see in the chat. So thanks, everybody, for joining the chat this evening. Can I get an amen? And uh, we have our researcher with us. Uh, the, the smart person keeps us grounded, keeps us in the right space, and that is Deb, a study of UAPs, the host of Deb's Data Dojo, who I'm going to be on with tomorrow night with Leah Prime. How are you, Debs? I'm excited to be here. I... Uh wish that i had something really clever to say but i feel like today is about being smart because we're talking to ben well it was cool you told patients that they couldn't come and get therapy today so you could talk to ben there's nothing to be embarrassed about about that that's okay that's not what happens (laughs) (laughs) they they canceled on me (laughs) it's all good man it's all good debs the secret is safe with uh with us Mm -hmm. with ufo twitter um (laughs) i'm kidding i'm kidding deb would never do that um, so yeah, we're about to get into it with this man right here. He is uh, the host of the Discovery Channel's UFO Witness. He's uh, also has shows on the Travel Channel. He's a pilot. He's a marksman, surfer, hooper, rock climber, disaster response volunteer, and he's also a former special agent with the FBI. Come to praise his name. Yeah. <laughs> And don't mess with this man, because if you do, he'll have a set of flex cuffs on you faster than you can say, Donnie Brasco. So party people, put your hands together for Discovery Channel's own Ben Hansen. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. That's got to be one of the most energetic introductions I've had in a while. Uh, I Whatever you got on your Cheerios. <laughs> I'll tell you, hey brother, this is just this is just me, man. All These natural. guys have seen me in person. This is it's organic, me. yeah. <laughs> Welcome, nice. Ben. Uh, it's it's an, an honor and a pleasure to have you. Um, you're so accomplished that it's uh, you know it's almost staggering reading your your list of accomplishments and and your endeavors that you get into and and as somebody who aspires to be. Uh, you know, diverse in the types of things I do. It's, it's actually pretty inspiring. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, diverse is probably the best descriptor. I, I have my, my feet in too many things, <laughs> too I'm many. Right, it's, it's hard to keep up with, uh, all the different worlds, but, but I enjoy it. I guess it's kind of how I roll. You know what else, um, is really interesting. Uh Oh, Ben is frozen or am I frozen? I think he is frozen. He is frozen. Okay. Uh, Deb, we all Uh-oh. good. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's not. I it's, hear him. 
I, I, I'm moving. You guys are he's moving. moving. He's, he's moving. All right, he's back. He's back. He's back. <laughs> okay, yeah, yes, there he is. Okay, a little pixelation. Um, ben, uh, the way it seems like it's shaping up right now and something that I find interesting is you're sort of become the voice of commercial pilots to sort of get their story off of just, you know, FAA tape reels and ATC's reels and get them out to the public so that people can digest um, what they're seeing from the perspective as, of a subject matter expert. Is that a role that you just sort of fell into? Um, is it something that you relish? How do you see yourself right now in terms of uh, uh, aggregating these these sightings and information? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, I just sort of fell into it. I, like you had mentioned, I am a pilot. I'm just, eh, well, if I buckled down, I could, I could finish up my commercial license, you know, in, in just a couple of months here. But um, I've been reporting on pilot stuff ever since about August, kind of almost exclusively. And um, these guys, it's really cool because it is sort of a tight community, right? And they talk to each other a lot. They, um, <laughs> a lot of people like kind of think, you know, behind that cockpit door, you know, they're, they're all serious and they're all this and that. And um, it, when they see stuff though, they, they, they geek out like everybody else and they can't believe what they're seeing and they need to be trusted though, because they deal with, with things like, um, if they report one, one guy explained it, he's like, you know, if I came out yesterday and said that I saw the, the coolest satellite last night and I videoed it and I go out and, and put on social media, the airlines wouldn't say anything about it. He's like, but if I come out and say that I filmed or saw a UFO, all of a sudden, a lot of these airlines jump on them and they threaten them with discipline, with, you know, possibly termination. And, and so they face a lot of, of risk coming out sometimes to talk about this. And so they want to tell someone, but they don't know where to go. And that's kind of how I fell into it, because um, I think I've gained that trust mm -hmm. and and I can talk the talk, you know, and I'm you know, I know the technical stuff they're dealing with. And uh, it's been really cool. It's been really cool to, to uh, be kind of a voice for them. And, and especially Ryan Graves, Ryan Graves, right, that is is out there, F-18 pilot, saw things himself. And he noticed first, you know, well before anyone else did that there needs to be major changes. So he's working on the military side. And, and, being a voice for them and for commercial pilots. And now we've kind of joined together and we're, we're working on some things. That is, uh, that's really cool. Um, that kind of collaboration, even Chris Lato tried to get, uh, and, and he's a friend of ours, you know, fellow aviator. He tried to get Ryan Graves on. And so if you're the person that can bring his voice to, I shouldn't say to a wider audience, cause a lot of people have heard him, but a more consistent voice, uh, in the in in the disclosure i don't even say it's disclosure basically in from an informational pr perspective you know because uh, uh he lends a lot of credibility and if he's more present uh that means more credibility for what people are seeing that frankly people don't uh don't uh know what what it is what we're looking at and that's what Absolutely. you so eloquently uh did in your last video so um let me turn you over to money nathan yeah, Ben, great to have you with us this evening. And I know we don't have a ton of time. So I wanted to, if, if you could jump to uh, talking a little bit about, I know you've got a security background, you've got a background that is also academic, and you've thought about some of the psychological impacts of uh, the, these kinds of events. 
uh, is there a certain aspect that really excites you more than the other? Uh, and, and what do you think about in terms of BJ mentioned disclosure, you know, kind of whether or not the government should or shouldn't reveal exactly what it may or may not know from a, just from a national security standpoint? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it all interests me. I mean, <laughs> uh, the, the UFO subject is it's primarily, you know, my favorite thing. I've done a lot of shows. We, we've even looked for mermaids, you know, in, in some of the shows I do and, and um, the ghost hunting and all that. UFOs are probably my favorite subject because I think it has the most potential for impact on society. Right. Um, and it's it involves history. So I I can see having worked for the government and understanding national security, I can see where they're coming from. And um, when I did my thesis um, recently on what I call reality compromising events, I realized at some point towards the end of it, I was writing a playbook, what I would do. (laughs) I was like, wait a second. It seems like some of this is happening. And for example, one of the things I think that would be the safest way for disclosure is what we call the drip method right? And you just slowly give a little bit of information, let that sit there for a bit. Don't even mention anything else um, for another six months or whatever, put out a little bit more, a little bit more. If that's what's happening, it kind of seems to fit the pattern and letting people acclimatize. Um, Because if you do the rip off the bandaid method, that's where um, my research indicated it could be very, very bad. And, And not just because, um, uh, whoever they are, I mean, they, they could be a potential physical threat to us. We have had nukes that have been shut down and airspace incursions near misses, all those things that we talk about. But even if they're not a threat, people and the way that we react to things, we saw a bit of this in COVID is, is a big paper. problem, <laughs> right? It only takes a small percentage of, of the population, not a majority by far, to overreact to uh, engage in violence and crime, to make the feel the world make the world feel unsafe, and that starts what we call cascading effects, and then that trickles down very rapidly to bring the whole system down. And before you know it, you're back at your home on lockdown. People can't work. Factories don't produce um, food and and necessities. All those problems, ten hundred times worse than what we saw in COVID. And, and that's what worries me, um, is that we're so interconnected as a society. You're dealing with something that's a reality shift. Most of it might be okay with most people, but some are not going to handle it well, and they're the ones that are going to cause problems. And I would just ask you to just follow up. So what is your uh, what was your, your thesis on how it should be done? Well, I did offer some recommendations, and... Um, you know, based on, on, on like the, the modern theories of panic and how people react to um, emergencies and disasters, most people don't panic. They don't, they don't like trample each other getting out of a theater that's on fire. Most people don't. But the problem was those studies were based on physical threats. Most of those were based on um, threats that were known. And the problem with, with the ET scenarios have so many unknown it's it's called the the unknown unknowns we don't even know what we don't know right (laughs) Right. and so (laughs) it's like when we're presented with this and you have the legitimacy of the state the government who now has to either tell us that they were lying all along and that they knew or number two they have to say we know as much as you do and we don't have any answers which is not comforting either way 
they lose legitimacy overnight. Right. And so I think my, my recommendation really is that if they do know something, they have to stay ahead of the news. They've got to do their best to control and, and really the drip method I think would be best and stay ahead of the narrative of the social media. The media is going to try and put on this. Um, and, and third, we need to build resiliency, which how do you do that? How do you make people more resilient to change when in a scenario like this? Do you show them more ET movies? Do you, you know, like, <laughs> you know, prepare them for, uh, you know, little by little, what these things might look like, how we might interact, how society is going to look. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, and, and so the, the, the question is, if they're secret keepers, if there truly is a group who's keeping this from us, um, they're not going to be able to do it forever. And, and it's going to be up to them, the visitors, whoever they are, they could at any moment just turn the whole thing upside down and say, we're doing it. If it's up to us, then we have more control and more time, but eventually that dam is going to burst, you know? And um, so that's what I worry about. It's, it's not really them as more as us and how we're going to react to it. That seems to be the problem. You know, when Jim Semivan was sitting in your chair, he said, I think, I mean, he may be speaking from a lot more knowledge than what he led on, but he said, I think they know more than we know, but they don't know it all. And, and how do they explain something they don't fully understand? Absolutely. Um, yeah. With that, I got to pass it over to Debs because I don't want her to shank me after the show. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't. I wouldn't do that. But I, I was thinking that I do feel that um, we do have evidence that the phenomenon itself is using the slow drip method. They've been doing it for at least 80 years, but some would argue thousands, right? So there's that. So the phenomenon really is already engaging in that sense. Uh, Lou said, Lou Elizondo said they basically are waving to us, Neil. But what I wanted to ask you was since you do have a lot of experience with, um, you know, behavior and you did some videos on body language, which were fascinating, since you're going out and talking to some of these big names in UFOs for um, some of the shows you're doing, mm -hmm. do you feel like your spidey senses are going off a little bit when you're interacting with them? Or are you feeling like you're getting a better idea of what's going on because they're in front of you? Um, are you reading something from them that we might not be catching because we're not there in front of them? Yeah, I think definitely uh, take, for example, the, the Pascagoula case, all right, Calvin Parker, and um, it was 1975, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And, uh, you know, Pascagoula, a couple guys, you know, finish work, go fishing. And when you hear the story, it's very, very odd, like a sci-fi movie. So if you only knew that, it's like, it's total BS. Like these three, you know, like aliens are floating. They don't see legs and they're like, kind of look like robots and they grab them with clamp like pinchers on their arms. And, but I'll tell you what, like when you meet, you know, Calvin Parker in person and talk to him, he's so just down to earth and humble. And you can see this guy has nothing to gain, you know, by coming out telling this very consistent story for all these years. So, yeah, I think, there are things you can't really put a, um, 
I guess a measuring stick too to say this person's lying or aren't they're not but when you get to meet them in person you can tell um if you've done this which i, I used to interview you know kids uh, mainly and, and victims of horrendous sex crimes and the trauma the trauma that you see in them is very similar to uh interviewing some uh, alleged abductees and whether something actually happened or didn't to some of them I can pretty certainly say I think that everyone, nearly everyone I've talked to, really feels that um, they're speaking the truth of what they experienced. So if that makes sense, like whether uh, some of them experience maybe a surreal, like uh, a sleep paralysis or or some other things, but they're not making it up, right? And so then you get into this um, soul abduction thing. I don't know what to think of that, to be honest. Because I feel like I'm pretty grounded, but when someone tells me they could, they, their soul could be taken out and taken up through the ceiling and go to the ship, but they never, never physically leave. Um, I have to have an open mind to these things, but it, it is hard for me to swallow because we want the person to actually disappear from their bed. We want them, you know, like Bobby was here, now he's not, you know, and and now he comes back. So there's a lot to this that I just think that like we we can't even begin to understand until we acknowledge that at least the people are being um, most of them are truthful to what they know. And then let's figure out what's happening. And some emotions are really difficult to fake. And when you hear the police, the surreptitious police station recording of Calvin and the other gentleman, I believe his last name is Hickson. Um, yeah, Charles Mm-hmm. Charles Hickson, right. It, it's very difficult to, I mean, you're in, you were in the business, but it's difficult to fake that kind of emotion. Just like when you hear certain Bigfoot experiencers and, and they say uh, an alpha type man, if you will, quote, says, I peed on myself. Uh, they don't normally give those yeah. kind of details unless it happened. You know, if you're going to get abducted or you're going to see Bigfoot, hope that you have witnesses with you. <laughs> because yeah. number one, like you, you don't normally the stories unless there was someone there, like the, the Travis Walton case, like I've told Travis many times, I like, I don't, it's a wrong way to say this. You were lucky, but you were lucky that you had the people there because otherwise, you know, like, well, I guess he didn't want the world to know anyways, but, but no one would probably have heard what happened unless you had seven witnesses right? Taking polygraphs and everything. And that's much, much harder to fake and concoct and to stick to the same story. Um, And same with Calvin, you know, like many, many people experience things and they're all alone. And it's just kind of like listening to someone's dream. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. They came down and did what to you. Okay. You don't have video of it, do you? All right. Well, I I guess maybe it happened. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you have witnesses, um, we, we really hear about these stories and we can add more credence to them. That's true. Um, I've heard uh, I've heard some encounters on both that I don't believe, and I've heard some that I I truly believe, and uh, that's just down to me and my personal intuition and opinion. But um, did want to ask you regarding because you've done so much work, we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss uh, some of these uh, 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 these encounters, and and the one that uh, you documented uh, close to Little Rock. It's, it's funny, I. I used to be stationed there, and they were talking about Greer's Ferry Lake. <laughs> That's where I went through oh, high yeah. schools at Little Rock. Yeah, um, nice. but um, uh, to me, some of the most compelling uh, aspects of that are not hyperspeed necessarily, but 
as you talked about, you know, them flying in a circuitous manner at a velocity mm-hmm. that craft that uh, that are conventionally powered or by powered by anything that we know uh, that you know operates under Bernoulli's theorem and uh, uh, Newton's laws of motion, et cetera, could not do that. You know, you and you you went into that at length, but I'm curious what you and you know. So hovering to me is is fantastic when something can hover at these altitudes. So <laughs> I'm I'm curious what what you find to be the most compelling of what you've seen in these these uh, several cases that you've taken on since like let's say August. Well, um, for those who have seen them, you know, I encourage people to watch the whole series uh, of as the progression because. Um, the last one I put out was some ATC radar, um, or, or chatter and stuff. And I have more of that. I've got a lot of that and I had to push it aside because I'm working on a really big case now, um, totally different phenomena, but it's, it's really exciting with the footage and we're trying to figure out where these things are. But, um, as far as these racetrack patterns, I do think, and, um, I guess I, I want to say this properly. I had always considered the possibility of satellites. Um, I think I was mistaken that we, we have a new configuration of satellites that are um, that are just doing orbits and stuff that we haven't seen before. The intensity of, uh, if it's Starlink, you know, of the, the flaring and all that. So the majority can be explained by that. But what we haven't had time to do yet, my research partner, Brittany, and I, is to put out uh, what we call an outlier case. The outliers... Um, we have several incidents where um, the F-18 pilot I originally reported on, where he's talking about these things starting over there in the north. Um, they were doing kind of circular path, but they moved from there directly over his aircraft. Um, a seventh one came down from it looked like space and joined. It stopped and then joined the other ones. Um, I've got others who have seen these things move and stop and then take off almost like um, the speed of a bolt of lightning. Okay, so stopping and then going. And so what we want to do is lay out these outlier cases and tell people, look, don't just dismiss things because we can explain a good portion of these as satellites. And like, okay, anything that pilots see that's similar, it's solved. It's not. I really (laughs) think that's a big mistake. Right. And um Especially because we have to consider the possibility that um, I don't want to jump to the conclusion that they are trying to mimic or or mixing in with this new satellite phenomena and disguising themselves. No, I, I'm not saying that. But because pilots are more aware um, to look for, for strange things now, and there's a lot of buzz going on here, I think we're getting more reports of these outliers as well and things that just can't be explained. Um, we have, have yet not heard from SpaceX, um, and I'm just saying me, the little guy. I'm talking about NBC, the Today Show, um, you know, some, some uh, you know, Daily Mail and some of those others who are reporting on this stuff. Nobody has received word back from SpaceX or from um, the FAA or NASA in regards to what these things are. So this is their problem, too. I, they're the ones who are getting these reports and filling up the 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 channels and, and with a chatter and being a distraction to pilots. So if there is an answer, and if if SpaceX knows or the FAA has some you know uh, control over this, why aren't you notifying your pilots? 
why aren't you coming out and saying this is what they look like um if you see this this is probably what it is and start helping in the process and i don't mean to be too harsh on them because they have limited resources right now but what happens is they report it uh their supervisor at atc says that's interesting maybe they make a couple phone calls end of story hardly ever is a report filed that goes higher up the food chain and nobody has called any of my pilots for follow-up, right? And, and so you're left with people like us who are doing it for basically free in our time because we, we have a vested interest in the safety of it. And I think it's important that people know what's going on. It's definitely a passion. And by the way, for those of you who want to check out Ben's uh, awesome videos that are quite detailed and he went to great lengths. Uh, you see it on your screen there. Hypo Center Productions 101 on YouTube. Money Nathan. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ben, you, um, I mean, I think you're touching on this some and we can expound on it a little bit further, but we were talking about pilots, um, commercial pilots, some who are just you know, transferring uh, freight, but many who have are responsible for people's lives. I mean, we have talking about people that are shuttling uh, human beings around constantly in the air and for governments not to tell them a little bit more about what they might be seeing, it just seems like incredibly irresponsible. I mean, the argument that this might be uh, some kind of black tech or whatnot that the government is just kind of experimenting with in space. Okay, sure. Maybe that, if that is the case, fine. But there is some level of responsibility, I would, I would imagine, to at least the FAA to say, hey, look, you know, we're kind of playing around with some new toys up there yeah. and we don't want you to be distracted by this you know, we're, we're counting on you to kind of do your job and not have to, you know, pull out your cell phone and try to film this or, or fill out a report that just clutters up things that may distract us from doing other tasks that are really important. Yeah. And so it just gets put basically in a dustbin, you know, yeah. it just is like, I understand within their scope of what they're given, they, they, they don't have the ability to um, investigate it. The FAs, that's not their job, but then whose is it? And the, the task force, whoever um, needs to revamp the policy of reporting, of follow-up, um, we've got, just to kind of tease this, once I clear my plate of this new big thing, I think is pretty big, we have a couple daytime sightings. Nothing to do with these racetrack patterns, but objects that seem to be pacing or um, in the airspace with video, you know, of of aircraft. And it's like, Okay, now I now I have a potential of a near miss or something, you know, of, of this object. So what are they going to do about it? And it's it's call up ATC. Okay, no, nope, don't have anything on radar. Okay, move along. <laughs> you know, it's like right, <laughs> right, yep, don't see it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so you wonder why pilots don't want to report. You know, they're like all the, all it is 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 a, a negative um, uh, a loss for them of of risk because you know, their airline could retaliate against them if it went public, you know, why did you tell this person or that, or the FAA, some of them, whether this is true or not, some of them are still afraid. There's a myth, you know, that they're going to come along and remove your medical because you're reporting crazy things. Right. And then you can't fly anymore, which I don't think is a real legit thing that still happens, but um, some of them are afraid of that. And so they're like, if the FAA doesn't going to do anything with it, What's the point of me telling them? Uh, I was going to say, fortunately, what you're doing, you're destigmatizing it because we have heard those. Uh, 
I don't know if it's the beginning of Martin Willis's show. It's one of the shows out there where somebody's talking to Charlotte Center and they're saying, do you want to report a UFO? Like, no, we don't want to report anything. Do you want to report a UFO? <laughs> no, nah, yeah. we don't want to report anything. But uh, and I think what the question I wrote down, and I got to get this to Debs, but basically it's, it, it was interesting. The, the controller very wisely never asked any of those pilots if they wanted to report a, quote, UFO, unquote. Perhaps he was allowing <laughs> yeah. them to relate what they were seeing without stigmatizing it. Do you, do you believe that was the case? That was purposeful? Yeah, yeah. And I think that they always are kind of careful of that. They just say, do you have any traffic? No, we're not showing anything. Okay, that's weird. Some of the, the radio chatter I'm going to release um, maybe before Christmas as we get around to it. It's funny because they're human. They joke around. But you'll hear pilots like chiming in there and like whispering, it's aliens, you know, <laughs> stuff. And, and the controllers are the ones usually being the very professional ones, despite what the pilots are joking around. But again, fear is a way that people deal with it. Right? I'm sorry, humor. Humor is a way mm -hmm. that people deal with fear in a lot of these because they're up there and they're seeing things and they're like, I'm not even going to go down that road. Ha, ha, ha. But can they explain it? No. And, and, and when we, you know, ha have the opportunity to interview them, usually not in that setting, they're like, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm not afraid that it's going to, you know, come and take me. But this is really, really weird because it shouldn't be in the sky. Well, uh, Debs is going to get the, the final question with you. But one, and, and, but one of the things that I, I wrote down was that one of the pilots uh, was having an interaction with the controller. And they said, oh, this is probably uh, military something or other, and we'll probably never know. Uh, and he goes, you got that right, something. So I'm just you know paraphrasing mm -hmm. here. And it, I really believe there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs when somebody cannot explain. I can't explain that, and I don't want to believe that it's something that I can't explain. So, therefore, I'm going to throw something. Hap also happens with Bigfoot all the time. What is that? What do you think it is? It just threw something at you. You think there's a, a baseball player out here in the mm -hmm. middle of the woods? Uh, but anyway, th there's a cognitive dissonance that occurs, and I think that's what happened in that, in that particular instance. Yeah, it's a defense mechanism, and, and you'll hear it um, with witnesses who um, more than a couple times I've heard they see something in the sky, they pull over their car, they get out, um, they might even video it, and, and a bunch of people watching it, they get back into their car, drive home with whoever they're with, and don't talk about it at all <laughs> until like a couple days or sometimes even years later, and they're like, do you remember that weird thing we saw? Holy crap, that is weird. Why would you not be talking about it all the way home? And it might be what you're talking about is that it's so sometimes like earth shattering. Your brain goes into overdrive in, in trying a defense mechanism of denial. And it's kind of like, I don't even know how to begin to address it. And so they just pretend they block it out. Right. And that happens quite frequently when, when people don't discuss their sighting or they forget they have a phone in their pocket and they can watch something for 20 and 30 minutes. And, and then the first question is, well, did you video it? And we all want to know, why didn't you video it? I don't know. I was just staring at it. <laughs> I think we should call that the Kurt Russell phenomenon since he did that with the Phoenix lights and he was a pilot who saw it. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to ask about pilots in general, because I heard yesterday in a talk space that I was in actually, that um, apparently China's been having people report UFOs since day one. 
So we're really behind on this. And then there are other pilots that are probably sitting on some interesting stories from NASA, test pilots. And of course, then there's the astronauts. So I was wondering if you were going to broaden your scope. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 we're open to anybody like um, the, my next report is not even pilots. Um, but we just kind of got on this train with pilots because it, it's a snowball effect and we keep getting more and more people reporting to us. Um, and I, and I, I love all sorts of aviators, anybody who wants to talk about it. So that does seem to be kind of the niche, but, um, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I've actually talked to any astronaut, you know, one-on-one -on -one about things that they've seen, but there are other countries who seem to be more open about this. that don't have that stigma. That is, entirely true and why we continue with it here you know is is beyond silly you know I, I had a guy from australia pilot down there the same thing happens though he's like i have a very uncommon name and he didn't want me to use his name or anything because of he was afraid of it being on the news and him getting in trouble with his airline and, and everything there so most western world countries are kind of like that and and the others um just one side note, getting sucked up into this whole China thing. I'm not sure what to make of this yet because we saw this shift with the New York Times article and we're all sitting here waiting for the new UAP report to come out. But it seems like somebody, whether it was intentional or not, or just the New York Times spinning it, they're priming you to make this more of a, an issue of national security, meaning that we, we may not know what our adversaries are flying drones and we hear drones, 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 right? That is also important, but they're conflating the two issues, right? Right. Who cares at this point, whether it's China or, or ET, the issue is you don't dismiss it. If you, if you don't know what's swarming your battleship mm -hmm. and you don't know where these things are going, and you don't know who's flying them, you know, that's the first concern, right? And, and so for you to come out and just say, we've, we've determined that most of these things are probably Chinese drones. It's like, that is not comforting either <laughs> right. because do we have that capability? And then you got China over here getting upset, like prove it. Don't use her accusations at us if you have no proof. So it was a bad move. I think it's a bad PR move if that's what they're doing. Yeah, and and Ben, couldn't they be uh, dumping like VX pellets on the on the, the 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 deck of a carrier if they can just fly with <laughs> yeah. impunity over whatever ship they want? Hey, let's see what, what kind of munitions we want to drop or gas or chem. So yeah, it, it's a big problem. And if you remember the flap we had, it was like two summers ago in the Midwest, Colorado, Nebraska, um, the uh, some states there like North Dakota. They they had no idea. The FBI investigated this. They still had no conclusion as to how there were hundreds of look like drones, look like anti-collision lights swarming around, checking out different fields, flying away, and they don't know where they go. Uh, that whoever, if it's earthly, that's a massive, you know, like a control, uh, a, a very coordinated effort, you know, for somebody who's got money. And that, you know, for an adversary or somebody else testing stuff out, you know, to go around and to do that in so many locations, that is a security problem. Right. Big and time. so you got both of those issues happening 
And I think in the eyes of the media, the problem is the media doesn't care or take the time to separate them and say, you know, okay, most of these are just drones. Okay, let's move on. No, intellectually, we haven't determined that. Who's flying them? Yep. I'm with you. Um, got, uh, so uh, got guys and gals in the chat, we got to get Ben out of here. So we're going to go with Cabby goodbyes, and then we'll basically beg Ben to come back at another point. But uh, but let's start <laughs> with the Cabby goodbyes, Deb. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say, to quote Labyrinth, should you need us, we are here. We're happy to help you <laughs> in your uh, in your activities. Awesome. Well, there's three of you. You could be like the lone gunman, right? Okay. And, and I just call you up. And we actually, we should... For those who have time, you know, we just need time to organize it. We need more manpower on some of this stuff, like tracking down things. Because when we work on big cases, I want to get the information out quickly. But uh, it's hard to have competent people, you know, to to go out and ask the right questions and to be a force multiplier, right? Some of these cases are really big. And like I just said, you know, like, um, in full disclosure, I only monetized my YouTube just a couple months ago because I was like, if I'm going to do this, I had to remonetize it. The only thing that comes out is if somebody clicks on that and that's fine. But, you know, when I've got a, a wife who's like, why are you doing this again? You know, like, is it, is it making any money? I'm like, um, a little bit, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, we need more people in order to, um, to be able to, to cover all the ground. You know, so hopefully down the road, we'll, we'll assemble something like that. I will say we, we've we gone the whole show without talking about Metabunk. Um, yeah, but and we'll of, go another 30 shows without talking about that, <laughs> by the way. There are some organizations out there who are better organized as far as forums and working on a problem. Right. And so eventually we'd like to get to that. Um, there's things I can't talk about yet, but organizations and things that will be able to collect information and hopefully do a community sort of thing where we can solve some of these together. We can look for explanations when there, when there are some, or, or we can put together patterns and um, try to figure out what's happening. And I think that is best done as a community. It's just, we got to stop the infighting. We got to stop, you know, tearing people down and, 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 you know, theories or, character assassinations if somebody is not i mean if they've got a good heart in this and they're not legitimately out there to hoax and to do things like let's be open to to all sorts of theories and let the facts lead us where they may right stick to that and stop attacking each other i'm with you brother yeah and so well said (laughs) yeah and um I'll, I'll let Nathan go with his cabbie goodbye. And I'll... You know, Ben, that's, that's just so refreshing. And I, I really appreciate you saying that. And, um, you know, there are a lot of folks out there in the community who I think are eager to help and want to help uh, with the right effort, the right leadership structure. So the, the person power is there. Uh, and hopefully that, that the time and the kind of stars will align to where we can move these uh, these resources in the same direction. But you're a big part of that. I appreciate your openness to this conversation. Um, setting the stage for people to feel comfortable to come forward and, and talk with you about what they're seeing, even if later on it turns out it's totally prosaic. Hey, that's, that's fine. It's great. Let's figure that out. Um, so thank yeah. you for what you're doing. And, um, you know, you've got big, big fans on, on our show here, and we, we hope that you uh, have a lot of success going forward. 
Awesome. Thank you guys. And thanks for carrying the message. And, uh, and hopefully we reach that point because, you know, the government's behind the game here, <laughs> it, at least publicly and, and what they're, you know, sharing with us, they could use help too. And if they're open to it, um, you know, we, we can all work on this together. I also want to say in terms of force multiplier, uh, you have some three of us here. I'm, I have an aviation background, obviously, from uh, the Air Force and Nathan and Debs. Also, uh, you could uh, trust if you need us to uh, do some some uh, speaking with people or investigating or taking awesome. statements. We, we won't embarrass you. I promise you that it doesn't matter which <laughs> one of us does it. And and I do speak the lingo. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate Thank it. you so much. Namaste for your uh, time, Ben. We're going to stay on and talk for a couple minutes. Your links of uh, everything will be in our show notes when the podcast comes out tomorrow. And uh, we really, really appreciate your time. And I know the aviation community does as well. And I'm going to reach out to the four or five or six guys I know that are gotten off active duty and are flying commercially to ask the question at oh, least awesome. and, um, and then direct well, to you. Uh, actually, there there will be some help you could uh, help me with when that happens. Um, okay. Yeah, because we're going to be rolling out some some uh, kind of reporting systems and methods to get those reports. And I'm just collecting them right now from my website, you know, ufowitness.tv. But um, I think we're going to be using another system pretty soon here that's going to be much larger and and, and gather data better. Um, so I'll, you know, let you, you know, that when, when it comes out and then you can help me get the word out. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I know you have editing to do tonight. We'll stay on for a couple minutes and just, and just, uh, praise you for a little while longer. <laughs> and, uh, we hope to see you down the road, brother. Uh, okay. All right. Thanks, Thank ben. you. Peace. All right. Good man. Oh, man. Monet. Amazing. Debs. How about it? I, so I was thrilled. He was great. I, he went on more things. He answered all my questions before I could ask them. <laughs> I got to go look he, up his dissertation. Yeah, he, he did. He Yeah, he did really well. It, it's interesting. I don't think that the interview went where we thought it was going to go, right? No. It was sort of, we thought we were going to talk about these these instances, but I think we had a more macro discussion. Yeah, well, there's a lot there. I mean, the guy's incredibly thoughtful. Uh, you know, he's um, he's open to the question. He's uh, seems very genuine. I mean, those are the qualities that we look for, right? We're just trying to have a conversation, and clearly, he's ready for that and is eager to have that as well, uh, free of kind of the ridicule and stigma and, as he said, kind of character assassination that tends to take place often in in these circles. So uh, that's really refreshing and. And I think, you know, hopefully is a model that others can can follow. So, you know, great work on his part to kind of promote that mentality. And, and you know, I only I only left with more questions. I, I know we're you're going to have him back and kind of dig into a lot more things. So it'll be exciting okay. in the future. I wrote notes like I had notes <laughs> for some things that he was saying. I'm like, oh, that's really good. I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the folks from Discovery mentioned something about 30 minutes. I I think she asked me how long you usually go. I said, you know, we would go like 60 minutes. And then she might have mentioned something about 30. And I was looking for that email today and I couldn't find it. But but uh, I'm glad Nathan asked the question when he did, because that was what I was thinking. And I'm, I'm just glad you asked him that so that 
uh, we always want to be respectful of our guest time. Um, so, uh, but yeah, that like this was just like, uh, you know, like a preliminary discussion. But I, I feel like he'll he'll come back and and speak with us again, and we can dig in, and maybe we can be a help uh, to him if he has somebody that he needs uh, one of us to talk to. Yeah, for sure. And I, a couple of things too came to mind. I mean, I, I think we, it'd be good to get him connected with Chris Lado and, and what he's trying to do with UAP Society, because uh, that's another organized effort. Of course, there's the SCU too, and I'm sure he already mm-hmm. is aware of that. Um, yeah. But, you know, the other thing that really jumped out at me, quite frankly, is when he said uh, that of these pilots that he's already spoken with, like, there's basically been zero follow-up from from anybody, you know, that there's been no follow up from anybody at the, on the task force, no follow up okay. from, you know, I mean, I mean, so that tells you quite a bit, I think, um, you know, if you, if you just set the stage with someone who's willing to listen to what's out there, willing to, uh, you know, entertain the question and make pe- people feel comfortable st- stepping forward and sharing whatever it is that they're seeing, you know, you're going to get information, you're going to get something to take a look at. Uh, and instead, we've had just a, a history of incredible, you know, obfuscation and, uh, you know, just we don't want to deal with this. We don't want to talk about this. We, we want to stigmatize this. And, and therefore, you have exactly what he talked about. Pilots that feel like it's just not even worth their time because no one's going to listen. No one's going to you know, actually look at this. And I think that's, that's a real concern. I mean, imagine this, DJ, like from your world, too. Like, imagine this scenario where we have a, a, a drone strike that happens on, on a very sensitive facility somewhere in the United States. And, uh, and all of a sudden we're like, well, geez, we never saw this coming. You know, that this incredible drone technology, it was able to do these crazy things that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't detect it and yada, yada. And like, you know, we look back and did anyone try to think about that or look at that? Oh yeah. Well, we did set up a task force that, you know, was trying to look at this. Well, what did you do with it? Well, we really actually didn't do much at all. In fact, we tried not to even send a report to anyone. We, we kind of pretended it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it would be a, 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 a catastrophe, right? I mean, this would be a huge failure of our government to do that. I mean, obviously, they're not perfect. But, I mean, we're at a stage where if if this is drone technology from one of our adversaries, then we better figure this out. We better figure and we better start, you know, instituting some consequences for that. I mean, if China's just going to kind of buzz our, our battle groups out in the ocean, I mean, there should be some political consequence to that, to China, you know, whether that that's some kind of, uh, you know, tariff or, you know, uh, slap on the hand some other way, or, you know, there, 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 there are mm-hmm. things we can do exactly mm-hmm. that, that, that would communicate, don't do this, you know, and it doesn't seem like we're doing any of that. So it's, it's a bit perplexing to me. Well, I have, I have a question for you guys. I'm going to throw this around. Like <laughs> I'm going to be DJ for a minute and throw this around for you guys to think about why is it on the one hand, we were doing that obscavation stuff, right? Like RuPaul said, they were tossing reports that that were being given to Blue Book. There were tons of reports that didn't make it into what people see now. Um, people sometimes wrote them and then didn't file them. Um, or they would write them and be told not to submit them. So why is it, while that was going on, and why, you know, why for decades we just didn't report anything at the same time we had people from the cia working with our media to put out movies that have to do with this topic like that's a real thing they genuinely worked with hollywood 
to make movies on this topic. So what do you guys think about that? Do you want me to go first or you want to go please, first? Please, yeah, go, go ahead. No, please. Um, it kind of goes along with what, with what his thesis was, um, that there's been a slow drip. Obviously, you guys know that for the last maybe four or five months, I don't know how long, I, I've kind of come to that hypothesis. I didn't start there. I started with, I'm really angry about Roswell because I, I get really irritated when somebody lies to me, whether it's a, you know, an industrial or a, a, a macro lie or just an individual um, and so that really bugged me. And then I kind of said, well, I disagree with the way they did, if I understand that. So I, I think they were playing both sides of the fence. And what you're asking, Deb, actually fits in with Nathan's point about the drones, the drone swarms. And the reason that, I, you know, at least for me, I have to go back and talk to uh, that one source I have uh, on this topic uh, that that knows some things. But we don't know. It, it, it's in their interest to proliferate that because people can digest drones. Drone is something that we could go buy on Amazon. A lot of people do have them. Uh, hell, the real estate agent in Nathan's neighborhood probably has one. Um, so they're very they're sort of everywhere. But when you say I don't know, that's not something, you know, anybody who's been in a boardroom meeting uh, has has been around one of those big tables. The worst thing that you can say, unfortunately, because sometimes it's the truth is I don't know. And so I don't know even about the 2019, if I remember correctly, I don't know how many of those were thought to be commercial drones based on what I've seen. And so I'm not sure about that, but I know that that story serves them more than I don't know what it is. Even though what Ben was saying is, well, it's still dangerous because then you're telling me that this Aegis cruiser or this battleship or this, this battle group can be swarmed and they can't do anything. I don't necessarily believe that, but I don't, I'm not a hundred percent. I know that that narrative goes goes over better with the public than it's something that we don't know what the hell it is. So I think that's a continuation, Deb, of playing a couple sides of the fence. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of a congressperson that is responsible for some of this, uh, you know, security area. And so if someone comes to me and says, Hey, you know, here's what, here's an incident that happened. And, uh, you know, our battle group, uh, all this, you know, billions of dollars of technology and personnel, uh, you know, we got swarmed by these, uh, you know, these advanced Chinese drones, uh, you know, that, that, that's what we think it is. Um, so, uh, that's all we got for you. You know, I guess we're going to head out of here. We'll see you later. I mean, <laughs> like I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I would be absolutely furious, you know, I would be absolutely furious. So you're telling me you it's Chinese drones. Okay. Well, what are, what are we doing about it? You know, what what is it that we are doing about this problem? Uh, are we are we do we have a technology that we can use to, you know, combat that? Uh, are we talking with our political counterparts in China? You know, we're we talking to the ambassador and saying, hey, uh, we know what you guys are doing over here in the Pacific, and you know this isn't okay. And as a result, you know we're going to do X Y Z uh, to you guys. 
Um, are those conversations being being had? Are, are we? You know, you can see where I'm going with this. Like, just to say, uh, you know, as if like you're putting a period on the problem. Like, ah, it could be just Chinese or Russian drones. Period. Well, I guess we're done here. I mean, you're not even close to being done. You know, so I think that could take take the phenomena out of the equation for just a second, and, and put yourselves in the shoes of a lawmaker who's sitting in the in the situation. You're not going to be happy or satisfied with just that answer. You know, it, right. and there's a lot more that has to come from that. So, you know, I, I think uh, we we need to keep that in mind when we're when we're talking about this conversation. But Deb, you know, to your point about you know collecting the reports and then you know shifting the narrative in a different direction. I mean, I think you know DJ pointed this out really really appropriately that. You know Ben's theory that there a lot of this is narrative control. You know, and there's a lot in our um, society. You know, and unfortunately this this is true. And I, I don't think it's, you know, there was a there was a there was one point where this was pretty conspiratorial, but I don't think it's that conspiratorial any longer. That there are special interests that do control what is you know kind of magnified or uh, 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 you know elevated to conversation in in our country, you know, that they can amplify certain talking points over other talking points. And, um, it's not, not to say they, they suppress every single bit of information that comes out. You know, I don't think that they, they're able to do that, but they can amplify messages that they want to amplify. And so this is, uh, in my opinion, a way for those that are, you know, kind of in, in control, they would rather kind of control the narrative in a way that is, um, safer for them, safer for the country, for the nation's security, you know, you're responsible for a lot of people. And I, I, I want to make sure to make, make this point is that you're not, you're not necessarily doing this from a malicious intent. You know, you're kind of doing this because in your mind, you, you've done the calculus, you've done the assessment and you've said, you know what, the, the better way to do this just for the safety and sake of not only our country, but perhaps the world is to you know, kind of turn the volume down on some of this and turn the volume up on this instead and let people just kind of go about their lives and, you know, buy their holiday presents and you know, have their Thanksgiving dinner, whatever it is, you know, just do the things that help society run. You know, it's better to do that than to do what Ben described and just like throw a hand grenade into the situation. And then all of a sudden, like you have a run on gas, you have a run on, you know, all these things and it just ca oh, okay. it's a cascading problem. Exactly. And that that you literally cannot control, and then the system begins to collapse. Like, I think that's a very real possibility. And uh, you know, to me, there's an argument here that they, whatever what they have done is in some ways responsible. And I and I can still not like it, even if and it abhorrent. was responsible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have you know, to one say, thing I was gonna, I, yeah. I, the one thing I was going to say, uh, I want to ask you guys about um, because he alluded to connection, how we're all connected. And so if I ask you as as an East Coaster, uh, if we were in, let's say, 1980, were you aware of the Dogtown Z-Boys in Venice and their sort of skating in pools and creating vertical skateboarding? Were you aware of that in the 80s? I was I've very little. <laughs> I've, I, I, I've heard about it, yeah. Yeah, I was not aware of it in the 80s. Obviously, I'm aware of it as of whenever it came out, like 2004 or 2003, when um, when uh, it got to uh, uh, cable cable channels and we got to discover them. But if you are someone like Nathan in Kentucky 
you know, or growing up in the South or myself in New York or Debs in Maryland, you didn't know about the Dogtown Z-Boys, but it was happening. And it was huge in California. And unless you were maybe a subscriber to a skateboarding magazine, maybe you, you, you probably knew. But in that way, now we're all connected and we would know. And I think that's one when Ben said that we're all connected. Things spread so fast, you know, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and I'm not sure what other platforms that people proliferate news on. I think that's where the wildfire and, and the grenade that you were just talking about. And I'm sorry, Debs. Yeah, I was I was only going to say that I feel like, yeah, we're, we're a lot more aware. I agree with that. I think we're everything's happening very quickly. Nothing really requires all that much money anymore for us to get this information. People are sharing more openly now. All of those things are a big part of this. Um, people are getting the technology to film things on their own without, you know, it being overly prohibitive, you know, like they used to be. But, but I wanted to go back a little bit to what Nathan had said, because it kind. I want to highlight this, and someone actually commented on this in the in the chat. Also, if these were Chinese or Russian, it would have already been an international incident, in my opinion. If that, they would have already shot them down, and we've been told that they have not been able to shoot some of these down, right? So that's a highlighting that it's a bigger issue than that. Um, but it, it would have already been an incident. It would have already been on the news. They would have already blasted them. They would have already, like, and the fact that the public knows this much about that already, that they've had hearings about it, that it, there's an NDAA and all that. No, they would have already said China's doing this to us and made a big deal about it. It's a great point. Yeah. Great and, point. you know, notice, too, how much uh, kind of narrative diversity they're, they're, they, they are tolerating with this subject. So by not saying anything definitive about what it actually is, they, they're permitting this wide diversity of, of theory making, you know, from from the public about, well, is it this? Is it that? You know, if why even tolerate that? Like so that there there has to be. It must benefit them in some way to tolerate the proliferation of a lot of different theories as opposed to saying, you know what? No, it's actually none of that stuff. It literally is this. So <laughs> right. end of story, like it is this. And yeah. not only is it this, but we are working on things to a actively combat that, you know, and and if and, and by that, too, they, they can say, hey, you know, uh, Department of Defense or Congress or whatever. In order for us to actively combat that, we need more money for, you know, R&D and X, Y, Z. We need to, you know, so there are a lot of things that that could come out of a, a definitive statement from the government on what it actually is. And there is no definitive statement. There is basically a void. So they're, they're willing to tolerate a void. And, and the question I would have is, why is that? You know, does it benefit them to just kind of let us you know, speculate all day long about whatever it is. Is, is, is the thinking that an amplification of exotic technology, you know, somehow is a like a, a specter of, of 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 U.S. dominance that 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 deters our foreign adversaries? Like, like it, I mean, we 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 don't need the uh, the public chatter bubble 
to kind of make that kind of pronouncement. You know, like if the government wants to say, hey, we've developed amazing technology that could totally do whatever we want to do in an instant on the planet or from space, like you, you would think they would demonstrate that or or tell our adversaries directly about it. I mean, that, that would make them pretty fearful of, or at least make them think twice about flying a, a DJI drone over a battleship or whatever, or any, a drone of any other kind for that matter. You're right, because DJ, you've said it before, people in the U.S. Air Force, for instance, are all about defending the skies. They would definitely want to show that they can defend us against drones, wouldn't they? So the yeah, fact absolutely. that they haven't done that is very telling. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll take you guys inside uh, sort of uh, uh, prisoner of war training where you're, you're meant to you go in a lab. It looks like a prison, but they, they call it a lab. Um, and they make sure that you feel like you're in a prison by breaking you down a little bit before you get in there for you know a week or so <laughs> and then when you get in there they teach you how to answer they've taught you ahead of time how to answer questions hopefully you remember it when you get there and they say delay um delay distract digress to irrelevancies so if you're being asked these direct questions how do you answer delay distract digress to irrelevancies and i think that sounds kind of similar to the tactics that they're using that you can you know, there are, uh, without naming uh, people that uh, if Nathan just mentioned a void, uh, that they've created that void, that they can allow your individual on UFO Twitter to fill that void with whatever their worldview is or whatever their proclivities are to feel about something that uh, we don't know what it is. So they, they open that space. So what does that do? That creates confusion. Um, and that's good because then people can't zero in on we, we you can't unify behind an idea because there's a zillion ideas out there and people are, you know, have these sort of torches and, and so forth that they're, you know, and spears and, and shields. So so it, it's very helpful to them. Very helpful. Right. I think that's a great point. But and, and kind of to follow on to that, too. So if you wanted them unified on something that would benefit you in this case, you as the government here, you know, whether that's uh, increased spending, funding, whatever, which is usually what the government wants, you know, you, you, you would actually tell them, right. I mean, you would, you would make it a clear and present danger to the public. Yeah. Right. Don't sue. A, hey, hold on. Harrison right? Ford. Wait a minute. Right. <laughs> you, would, you would make it pretty explicit because an explicit danger is something that people will react viscerally too. Like, like you said, if there's no explicitly uh, explicit pronouncement about what the danger happens to be, then there, there's kind of, there's very little action. There's a lot of inaction. In fact, it's just, there, there's like a, like a, a stasis of inertia. Right. But if you had this pronouncement, you know, Hey guys, like uh, our adversaries have developed this amazing tech and uh, we're, we're really behind the eight ball. You know, like the only thing that you've heard that's even close to that is with hypersonic wet wet weaponry right hypersonic mm -hmm. weapons which is the big kind of thing now but you know you're not hearing that with this with, with the with the with uaps so that tells me that at least i think anyway that uh whatever the actual facts are is either a they just literally don't know what they are mm -hmm. uh, or b they do know what they are but they don't want to talk about it yet you know because talking about it is it does not serve them right now 
in some form. I like A. I like yeah, a. And, and they could be, yeah, completely yeah, oblivious. I, I, I can't imagine that they could. They, I'm, you know, again, Jim Simivan, it makes the most sense. They know more than we do, obviously, <laughs> but there's no way they could know. know right. oh they're just no, I mean, the, the origin of it, it, it's probably more likely too complex and too diverse that they don't have a handle on it. And that was his whole reasoning was if they can't, if they don't understand it, they can't explain it. And again, we're back to the boardroom. Is it good to say, I don't know? Not a great idea. I just had a, a fabulous flash go through my head just now. What if the government is not admitting what it is clearly because they're afraid their soldiers won't want to face it? The pilots won't want to face it. They're afraid of the military being terrified, and they don't care whether or not the public's terrified at all, but they, me, they don't want people to be afraid to go in the air. Let me give you an example of how that's probably not the case. David Fravor, with no weaponry at all, turned and pointed his aircraft to try to run into that thing. And I've said probably some from the first shows that we ever did, Nathan, when we talked about this incident, which some of the very early shows, that was an extreme act of bravery because he didn't know what would happen. That could have been a Class A accident if, if that uh, craft were not agile enough to avoid him. So I, I don't think that's the case. I think people will, will, will fire on anything. I just think that it, 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 they probably don't understand the entire gravity of the phenomenon, I don't think. Um, so we've gone a little past an hour, but let's, uh, you know, we, I thought we could do if, if anybody's got a last point and then just say, we can kind of like say hello to people in the chat after anyone's got a last point that they want to make. Well, I just was, was going to bring up the conference that we got to go to and say it was awesome. <laughs> that's all. I'm sorry. Like that's my summary of it. It was awesome. I loved it. And the fact that we're heading in an intellectual um, path. We're going on an intellectual path. So two or three major things are happening with the UFO community. One, more intellectuals are coming on board, you know, scientists, academics, so on and so forth, openly, you, you know, not invisibly. Then we have social media. So like we're all on the same page instantly. We all know what's going on. We have really smart people giving us data like immediately. Um, and then the third is just this you know, sense of unity of like, we need to get this organized. Like I, I've been saying that a lot to people, a lot of people that I talk to are on the same page. Ben said it today. Um, that's one of the, my favorite things is people are, we're going to get this done. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, Deb. Yeah. I mean, that conference was great and I, you know, kudos to James and Jay for putting that together and uh, you know, the time and energy that it took to, to get that put together. I mean, it's not easy to do those things. Um, and uh, the energy was great. The quality of the conversation was great. And uh, I would expect uh, that trend to continue in, into 2023. And and you're right in pointing out, Deb, that the, the community is changing in some, I think, notable and important ways. In some ways, the kind of delay... Uh, the lack of the latest tidbit from the UAPTF or whatever has been beneficial because I think it's allowed us to focus on the things that really matter. Um, I think a lot of the um, distraction, honestly, is on 
the fixation on like the technology and you know whatever it is that's in the sky i mean i want to know what it is obviously but a lot of it's kind of like a cat with a laser pointer it's just like you know like it's not really a concerted effort and i think figuring out the deeper issues here and these conferences really do explore those contours and that that's what i'm interested in because at the end of the day you know, to me this is a question about what what is ultimate reality what is what what is our place in reality you know why are we here um and you know a, a ufo craft isn't answering that that question no matter how fancy it is you know but but right. it does point in the direction that i think allows us to ask those questions and i think connect with each other and with ourselves in a way that is a lot more meaningful uh at least in a way that maybe we haven't done it in quite some time and and the world needs a lot of meaning right now um we need to have those conversations that allow us to really connect with each other and not just like you know snipe at each other from from social media that's not very helpful i i can't say what either of you said any better than you said it about the event and what it meant and the positivity and the togetherness. So um, I just want to say that I agree 100% with you, uh, both Deb and, and Money. Um, what struck me was uh, the contrast between how well we are doing, even if there's a lot of folks that feel like we're not doing well as a community in terms of representation and progress and now uh due to nathan's fault uh with the bigfoot community they are so far behind us that i contacted our good friend whom we hope to have on with david smethers who's in the chat um uh, very soon we got to rebook uh, he and dan warren because they're basically giving up their spot for the cab holiday party this sunday uh graciously uh, we appreciate that because if had they balked, we probably would have just done their episode. Um, so Dan is going to connect me with uh, Congressman Burchett, who I guess uh, either believes in the existence of Bigfoot or had a sighting or knows somebody who had a sighting something. Uh, and uh, I'm going to try to see if they can get some traction on there. But they're nowhere near where we're at. You know, when we have New York Times... Folks, we have an undersecretary of defense for intelligence speaking on stage, uh, two reporters from the New York Times, actually, uh, authors, academians, uh, Jeff Kripal. I mean, as Vinny said to me this week, they have like Dr. Jeff Meldrum and like that's about it. <laughs> so, you know, what do you guys, you know, Deb, what do you think about that contrast and then money? Well, you know that I would be um, really interested in uh, getting in there and figuring out what's going on with that. You know, if I had the time, I would. But I would be that person going, you know, we have someone organizing all of our files right now in a national archive. Maybe you guys should do something like that, right? And then, you know, maybe highlighting the bend that we're going towards with science and things like that. And they could start pulling in anthropologists, uh, cryptologists, you know, people have really been studying the scientific aspect um, and kind of pushing those people forward. Um, I feel like it's, it's really tough because two things are going on. On the one hand, we're recognizing the value of experiencers more and more, right? But that's testimonial. 
And then on the other hand, we're recognizing the value of studies and research and the intellectual bend to all of it. So that seems to be the formula we're working with right now. Maybe that's the formula they need too. Well, how do you see the contrast between these two communities, uh, Nathan? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, and, and two, I would like to point out that the UFO community is, um, you know, it does, it also exists across a lot of different spaces, but in, in contrast to the Bigfoot community, there doesn't seem to be a strong Twitter Bigfoot presence. You know, like you pointed out to me, it's, it's primarily on Facebook. Uh, the UFO community congregates on Facebook and on Twitter. There is some overlap, but not necessarily a lot. Um, I think that one of the good things and bad things about Twitter is that it's like a pressure cooker kind of environment for communities, right? So uh, if, if, if you can go through that trial, uh, that, that intense pressure that is brought on by the social media, uh, a kind of quick, short, terse engagement, if you can get through that and come out on the other end, you're probably a stronger community for it. Um, you know, and so I think that's sort of at least what I'm seeing on the UFO Twitter side. There is this kind of emergence of stronger community coming out from quite a number of, uh, you know, silly little squabbles, in my opinion. Um, it's maturing, in other words. Right. And um, and I think the speed that Twitter operates as well, like allows us to be a little bit more agile, a little more yeah. nimble in how we react to information and share information. Um so, you know, that could be of value to the Bigfoot community, but, but at the same time, you know, it's a kind of a cautionary tale as well, right? So if the Bigfoot community <laughs> decides to come into Twitter more actively, like, I think they will, you know, see a lot of the same stuff that we have seen, uh, the kind of personal attacks and uh, bad faith arguments and conversation, you know, they're going to have to wade through that, you know? <laughs> That's a great one. Bad faith arguments. I mean, I it is, it. right? I haven't heard it put that way. No, That's it's great. true. I mean, there's so much of that happening yeah. where we're just not being uh, generous with one another, where you can tell people are entering into conversation with each other, not at all for the purpose of trying to reach understanding, but no. to basically <laughs> score points, you know? So, yeah. so you're entering into the conversation with a desire to win, not with a desire to reach any kind of consensus or understanding, you know, to further the, the, the discussion. So that to me is, is bad faith. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a definite contrast. I'm hopeful for that community though. I mean, they're like, yeah. you know, there's a lot of potential here uh, for new areas, new avenues of discovery, new partnerships. That's the beauty of online interaction. And I've experienced that in other areas of, my own life is that you can, if you're intent, if you're thoughtful and intentional, uh, you can really build communities that are quite powerful and have a lot of staying power. So I hope that that happens uh, for these communities because, you know, they, they really do bring people together and there are some big questions that are worth pursuing. I think they're, they're I getting, just want, yeah, go ahead, love. I just wanted to say one thing to also consider is instead of, considering them the Bigfoot community or talking about the UFO community, maybe we should move forward to we're all one community and we can of help course. each other. Of course. No question. I mean, that would be my goal is, and that's what we're doing with this show. You know, we're trying to bring in where, you know, Matt Knapp is going to come in and, and uh, we're going to engage with him and try to 
uh, bring some Bigfoot people in here. So it's kind of, you know, become sort of a, a secondary uh, cab mission. Um, they are uh, found a way to attack each other on Facebook um, and on their f- whatever forums that they use. I have not been on any of their forums or if they're on Discord. I, I don't know any of that, but on Facebook, they have found a way to do that. And I, I agree with Nathan. They're, n- they're not as agile as we are. But they are having as many conferences and big conferences as we are. So when I look at the one stark contrast between the UFO community, and I understand what you mean, Deb. We should be talking about it as one community. I agree with you. But when I look at the stark contrast between the Bigfoot community and the UFO community, it's that they have no representation. There is no New York Times article. There is no Lou Elizondo. There is no Christopher Mellon. There is no David Fravor. There is no Chad Underwood. There is no Ryan Graves, et cetera. And we could just keep going with, and, and they don't have that. And I mean, Vinny said it, uh, Vinny and I had like a, you know, 4:45, and I don't know what time it was in the morning. I was driving to work. It was like five something in the morning. And he said, yeah, he said they have like Dr. Jeff Meldrum and just a couple of people. And it's just not enough. You know, we have a Gary Nolan and Avi Loeb because of those people we just talked about. So I, I, we could just leave it there and say hello to everybody in the chat. But that, that's my opinion. They really need representation. They really need some big hitters. Uh, they are also we're dealing with the Department of Defense. And the Department of Defense cares nothing about Bigfoot except if they interfere with like Fort Lewis and McCord, which has happened. There's been some supposedly some uh, interactions out in the forest there, but it's the Department of the Interior. And and I know nothing about the Department of the Interior. So and what their their stance is. And then what happens is that your your state uh, parks fall on. Not that they fall underneath there, but I think they fall in line with what the, the Department of Defense. Uh, interiors take is on that when it comes to uh, state and county and so forth uh, parks and uh, and I, I think they just they're, they're rangers and so forth uh, follow along mm. let's say hello to people in the chat Linda's here Linda Thompson what's up home girl what's up Linda okay, Good you to guys see can you. say something now no I was, oh, looking, yeah. I, Hi. Was, I was looking for her message so I could put it up yeah uh, good to see you good to have you with us Linda <laughs> Uh, we've got a bunch of folks. So, uh, uh, Channel Warhorse, good to see you. Yep. Uh, um, Smithest. Michael Ashworth. Yeah, hi, Michael. Uh, Smithhurst, yes. Uh, I love the things David's saying about what we're talking about. Yeah, David, David's amazing. Um, who did I miss here just a second? So, Kurt M., good to have you with us as well. Avgutne. I love that. How do we say that? Kurt? Kurt was the first one in, Nathan. Kurt was here before we were here. I'm, I'm slow I, on the draw here, so my apologies, Kurt. Good to have you with us. Yeah. I want to know how to say that name. She's saying hi to Linda. I wish she could say it. I wish she could come up on audio. <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, just a quick point out to, uh, to folks who are watching. We do have a holiday show coming up on Sunday. DJ mentioned it. We're very excited about it. It's 2 Eastern Sunday. The cab holiday party, second annual cab holiday party. We're going to have over 20 guests uh, appearing on the show over the course of, I think, roughly probably two hours, hour and a half, two hours. It should be a lot of fun. It's just going to be hanging out with folks uh, that you're familiar with, people that you've interacted with uh, on social media and through other excellent podcasts and channels. 
these are friends of our show. They're friends of ours in real life in, in most instances too. Uh, a lot of great people. So I know we're going to have some fun and also interesting conversation uh, on, on Sunday. So we hope that you guys join us and uh, for some holiday cheer. It, it's it'll start out organized and then as we tweet the link out to very or 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 dm the link it'll turn into something of a free-for-all total chaos um, yeah and probably a bunch of our friends we need to get it out to uh just think of this deb nathan a bunch of our friends we met uh at the um at the symposium uh the anomalous we got to get it out to a bunch of those people that i i probably haven't even so let, let's do that and and we get to the free-for-all portion okay yeah, sounds good. Oh, we might even play a little UFO trivia, which uh, I guess we need to start working on if we're going to do that. Uh, but very excited about it. Should be a good time. Thank you. Love you guys very much. And um, for uh, Debs, for Nathan, this is DJ and Cab saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, we're wondering what's up around the bend.